is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 210 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Melissa Torres all about how to write and sell middle-grade fiction. But first to last week's question, which was, do you believe in the idea of a muse, or do you think writing is purely a discipline? So Edwin Downward said, I prefer to think of my muse as passion, as my passion, which only comes alive when I put myself in situations where it's free to fly. This is one reason I do not have data on my phone no temptation go online when i'm outside of wi-fi range at one of my favorite walking locations jack k boyles says i think the muse is just a metaphor for whenever we get an idea we lose ourselves in but such creativity can only be achieved with discipline even if it's an hour a day because with discipline comes better execution ian worrell said mainly discipline your mu- your your muse your muse won't show up if you don't at least that's what i found if i stay away from the computer the muse knows not where i am love that i love these thoughts i um was looking at TED Talks last week and uh, it reminded me of the TED Talk that Elizabeth Gilbert did where she talks about the poem and the lady who uh, got inspiration and very much felt like some of her poems were given to her by a gift from the muse and how sometimes they'd come in backwards and she would have to sort of grab hold of them metaphorically I suppose and uh, yeah so I just it it made me think of that question. So this week's question is, tell me about a skill or party trick you have that would surprise people. So this could be fun, it could be serious, it could be anything. So tell me about a skill or party trick that you have that would surprise people. The book recommendation of the week this week is Yellow Face by R.F. Quang. Quang? I hope I've pronounced that right. I probably haven't pronounced that right. I apologise. Um, this was recommended to me by Val Neal. So thank you very much, Val. will say is I am not all the way to the end of the book, so I don't know how it ends yet. But this is the most uncomfortable book I have ever read. I have never felt so uncomfortable. I, I'm, I'm almost physically tense whilst reading the book. And if you ever just want a really fucking good book to make you feel something, highly recommend this book. So this book is about um, race and racism. Uh, It's about race and racism in the publishing industry. And it is also uh, the story side of it then is about a woman who is best friends with a literary darling who is the height and um, the height or she's at the height of her career, despite being only 27. And she dies suddenly. This isn't really a spoiler. It happens in the first chapter. And the girl who was friends with this girl who died steals her latest manuscript. And then the book is about what happens after that. And it is fascinating and deeply uncomfortable. Um, And I really recommend you all read it just because I'm like, I'd love to know what you think. So and also thank you again to Val for recommending that to me. So in personal news and updates then, whoo, I am tired. 
<laughs> I'm feeling good though, feeling super positive. Uh, I'm back in the gym training a little bit more than I was training uh, because I'm out of drafting and out of editing now. So I sort of feel like I go in these cycles where when I'm drafting, I'm expending so much brain energy that I can't then expend the same amount in the gym. So I tend to lower the amount that I'm in the gym. However, I'm not doing that now. So I have ramped up the amount that I am in the gym and loving being back. I didn't think it was possible to get more energy pennies for a number one competition in the gym. But yesterday, my instructor did a uh, max strength kind of test challenge thing. Oh, wee! <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. I mean, I hurt like a teeny weeny little bitch today, but um, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, so... <laughs> Life story aside, I have now finished A Game of Deceit and Desire. It is back from the editor. We, I, I did all the editor changes yesterday. There were still a couple more changes. Um, and so it has gone back to the editor again. Uh, but I am starting now from next week. So today is Thursday, the 28th of September. And from Monday, Tuesday, I will be sending the book out to advanced readers. So I'm hoping that it's going to get a good reception. I'm really pleased with it now. It was quite tough this one to write because I had that full start earlier in the year where I wrote 40K or 42K, whatever it was, and then binned it all and started again. Um, it's been quite tough psychologically, this one, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually really pleased with the end and I really feel like the last, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I've grown and I've learned so much from this one. And and this one, I've packed even more tropes. I didn't even think it was possible to pack more tropes in, but I've kind of packed more of those like moments that you love in, in fiction and like those kind of scenes. Oh, I just can't wait to start talking about it. Anyway, I will not talk about it too much today. Uh, suffice to say that I have moved the launch date. So the launch date was the end of January. It is now October 26th, which means it is out next month. And I have also written the blurb. So I am going to read the blurb. Can love survive when trust is the rarest magic of all? Bella Blythe, master of lattice magic, is determined to win the runic games. If only her greatest rival, Remy Reed, would get out of her way. For years, they one-upped each other in competitions, jobs and their apprenticeships until a single kiss changed everything. With the biggest competition of their lives ahead of them, they're going to have to trust each other, a futile task when they're both harbouring secrets filled with betrayal. With a reputation and a relationship at risk, they're left with an impossible choice. Do they want to win a competition or a heart? Two women, two betrayals, and a romance that will rewrite their destiny. This is a steamy lesbian fantasy romance with rivals to lovers, forbidden romance, and only only one bed, found family, false proximity, and a whole shitload of spice. Do recommend this is for 18 plus readers only. And it is the final book in the Girl Games trilogy. And I will be uh, uh, moving on to my vampire trilogy very, very soon. I'm in world building. I'm absolutely loving it. Still, so not having to, I haven't really had any uh, craft book recommendations, but if anyone has any really good craft book recommendations, I would love to know about it. Could be world building, could be anything actually. It could be story structure. It could be characters. It could be prose. It could be anything you want, but I'm dying to do some more uh, craft book reading. So please do let me know uh, what you recommend. 
So yes, as a reminder, A Game of Deceit and Desire is on pre-order. The ebook is on pre-order right now. The paperback and hardback will be uh, on pre-order about halfway through October. Okay, so in other news and updates then, this coming week I will be finalising the Vegas talk um, and I will be starting to work on my course. So I don't think I have really talked about this and so you're going to have to bear with me for another minute or two. So this course is, it hasn't got a name right now. Uh, the way that I'm describing it is that uh, we have a lot of uh, or authority people in the industry talking about how to write to market. And when they talk about how to write to market, they often talk about pitching brand, they talk about finding comps, they talk about um, advertising. What they don't talk about so much is the craft side, the prose side, the writing side of writing to market. So that's what this course is going to look at. I'm going to lean into my number one competition and uh, give to you a course that will look at um, how to write to market from the craft market, craft side, how to bake in your marketing. Uh, there will be some elements of how to, fi how to find your comps. I'll talk you through how I do it. I'll talk you through how I approach a new genre. Um, and and then we're going to dig into looking at deconstructing uh, the craft in your genre and working out what it is that you need to do. So I am like insanely excited to do this because it's just going to be competition pennies all the way. Uh, but also I hope it's going to provide something really useful and fill a gap in the market that I don't think anybody else is covering. I think most people are talking about the, um, you know, the, 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 the more uh, overarching elements of writing to market rather than the craft and the writing. So I hope you're going to find this super useful. So I think that's it from me, really. Uh, most of October will be taken up with that and the launch and uh, doing world building. So those are kind of the three things that I am working on uh, for the next month. The rebel of the week of this week is Amy Nielsen. Amy says, I'm a long-time listener and owner of ah, several of your incredible craft books. One of my favourite segments of your show is the rebel stories. I never thought I'd have anything re rebel-y enough to submit, but now I do. I live in the United States, Florida to be exact, ground zero to culture wars and book bans. I'm a former youth librarian, associate literary agent, developmental editor and 2024 YA de debut of a book that will most certainly be banned. Oh, I want it. Tell me what it is. I need to buy this book. <laughs> Already, I know that. Um, okay, Worth It. Oh, wait, here we go. This is the title. Okay, I'm going to Google. Worth It is a story of a homeless teen girl who ends up in a trailer park with an abusive older man, eventually pregnant, and busts her way out. I guess that pr is pretty damn rebel if I do say so myself. The story is based on my real life experiences, but that isn't the rebel story I'm here to tell. In my seething rage for the fight against banned books, with my publisher Wild Inc. and I have partnered together to create Uncensored Inc., a banned book-inspired anthology. Oh, we are seeking poetry, personal essays, flash fiction and short stories around the theme of banned books from seasoned, emerging and aspiring authors. We want to give writers the opportunity to use their pens to provoke change. We want to join forces with authors and rebel against those who are threatening our intellectual freedom. And we need you. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, then I will leave a link in the show notes to find out more about the anthology. Thank you so much. I loved that 
uh, rebellion, I will definitely be checking out your book and I will make sure we include a link in the show notes. If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small or something in between. Please, please don't hang on to these stories. Just send them in. You can uh, send them to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Other than me, tell you all about why I use ProWriting Aid and I have just been through uh, a ProWriting Aid edit before I sent it off to my editor. I am going to let Lynn tell you all about why she uses ProWriting Aid. ProWriting Aid isn't just for your manuscript. Don't get me wrong, it's great for that, but it's also for your website content, your newsletter, and your social media posts. You can copy and paste any text into the web editor or use one of its many software integrations so you can edit anything and everything you ever type. Because let's face it, you can't really copy edit your own work. You miss something. And I, for one, am fed up of crafting my messaging, hitting tweet, and immediately spotting a typo. There's nothing left to do then but curse the Twitter gods for not giving us an edit button. ProWritingAid is an editing tool for formal reports to Instagram posts. Not only does it help with catching those annoying typos, but it flags when I've slipped into using passive voice, and it suggests fixes and explains the problem so that I can learn for the future and write better content enough from me this week. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm joined by Melissa Torres. Melissa is the best-selling author of the Perfect Balance Gymnastics series. She has been writing and independently publishing books since 2016. To date, she has published 15 products, two picture books, three workbooks, four children's chapter books, and six middle grade books. Her business model consists of direct sales, Ingram, draft to digital and Amazon. Melissa currently lives in Utah and is a single mother to two active boys. She enjoys attending their mountain biking. That's very difficult for me to say at this time of night. Their mountain biking races and taking them to the library. When Melissa is not parenting or writing, she can be found weightlifting or partner dancing. Okay. I am so, <laughs> so, so here for the weightlifting. I do a boot camp. Awesome. And my favorite thing in the whole world, other than writing and reading, is throwing heavy shit around a gym. <laughs> I love it. I've been doing it for 20 years now. Oh, wow. So it's like, do you do it competitively or like? No, no. Um, it was a skill I learned being a gymnast in college. So I just kept with it to stay fit because uh, gymnasts have to retire at about 22. Yeah, 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 I know. It's um, crazy yeah. that you've had like a yes. whole career and then, yes. you know, yeah. and you're still a child really at that age. Yes. Yeah. Um, amazing. So what kind of weightlifting do you do? Like, is it just in the gym? Do you do like CrossFit? Do you do like a specific? Mostly, yeah, just in the gym. Um, CrossFit, I feel like I've maybe aged out of CrossFit. That's pretty intense <laughs> <Yeah>. for me. <laughs> um, so I, I just, I enjoy free rate, free weights squats, bench, um, dumbbells. It just, I, that's my favorite form of exercise. And then dancing is my favorite form of, of cardio. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. I am. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I have always, always loved sports. I've never been very good at sports. Um, I can't say I sort of excelled at anything other than like martial arts. I was very good at martial arts. Um, but I just like sports. I just like endorphins. Basically, that they're my version of crag. So I'm honest. Well, I, see, I think that getting that physical movement is is important balance when we're sitting at a desk all day. 
So I think it's just natural. Do you find it helps you get like writing ideas as well? Because like some people are like, oh, I go for walks. I do this, I do that. When I go to the gym, my mind goes completely blank and like the intellecting kind of happens. Like, and then when I come out, I'm all, I can always solve the problem. I'm more like you. I like to go to the gym to get away. And when you get away from the problem, then when you come back to it, it doesn't seem so big or then your brain solves it. So I do it to get a minute away from my desk. Sometimes that happens on the treadmill. You're thinking and then you solve it. But actual weightlifting, I'm focusing on what I'm doing and I enjoy that escape. Yeah, and not putting my back out. Now I'm like getting on towards another decade. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Things don't fix quite yeah. easily. Yeah, I've had to drop the, the heaviness and um, modify some of the lifts. You have to just yeah. be smart. Bad times, bad times. Okay. Tell everyone a little bit about you and your journey. Like, how did you get to where you are today? I think all of us, our journey is, you know, your whole life's experience is added together. So, you know, I write the Perfect Balance Gymnastics Series, which is like Babysitter's Club for Gymnasts. And the first part of my life, I mentioned already, I was a competitive gymnast. So that, you know, that gave me that background to write the series. And then um, I went and studied literature and psychology in college. And then after that, worked in human resources for 10 or 15 years. And I feel like that human resources background really helped me with the business side of indie publishing. And then, of course, my experience as a gymnast helped me with the storyline. Um, I don't know where the creativity came from, um, but it's all come together. And I felt like there was a hole in the market. There weren't gymnastics books for girls. Um, there aren't very many sports books for girls in general. It was something I would have loved to have read as a kid. And so I had a teammate who owned a gymnastics club and she said, I think you should write books for little gymnasts. And at first I thought that was a silly idea or crazy. I could never do that. But once she planted the seed, that was that. And um, off to the races because I couldn't let it go. I was like, yeah, I would have loved that as a kid. I should do that. And then that's how it happened. Oh, I, I love that so much. Um, I think some of the best books come from there isn't enough of such and such and wanting it. Like that's what's led me to um, the current series that I'm writing because there's um, sort of a growing population of sapphic fiction um but not very much fantasy and I was like I want to fill that space so yeah and off I went because a lot of it is all for young adults like there's a lot of that in young adult but not a lot for adults and definitely not any that's that's spicy really I mean I'd say not any there's some but not not enough not not enough what people want yeah and not when you look at like the fantasy romance market right now which is booming and you know how many bloody books are in the top 100 that are fantasy romance right now so yeah I love that um out of curiosity what kind of psychology did you study because that is also my background which is crazy (laughs) um it was mostly behavior modification it was an undergraduate degree it just that was what the university I was at focused on so that's what I studied um my intent was to go on to sports psychology but then I just was a bit burnt out after getting my bachelor's and was excited to get into the world and start working I'm not sure why but that was where I was at at the time. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. Sports psychology, I find mm-hmm. fascinating. I watched um, yeah. 
I can't remember what it's called. The playbook, I think it's called, with all the coaches on Netflix. Like, and I will see that a lot of their job is kind of like the psychology of like athlete mindset and getting them to like, yeah, I don't know. I find it interesting. Well, at, the, can... at the high levels, all the athletes are so close together physically, and it's the mental aspect that that separates them at that point. And it is fascinating. So um, that degree was amazing, and it helped me in HR, helped me work with people. And you know, like I said, all of your experiences add together, and then then you're writing books. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about middle grade fiction. Okay. Um, and like the first thing that strikes me is that there is quite a difference between indie authors who write for adults and all of their methodologies and all of their business models and indie authors who are writing for middle grade middle graders or, or sort of younger children. So I wondered if you could talk to me first of all, like a little bit about those differences. What, what, how, how do the business approaches differ? Um, yeah. Talk, talk to me about that. I think the biggest difference is indie found success early on with eBooks and really learned how to corner the market and middle grade is still preferring paperbacks. Um, I hope they always do. I, that's where the sales are for middle grade. So you have to tailor your business model for selling paperbacks. Um, a lot of the classes I've gone to, it's really on how to get eBook sales. And I've had to take that information and tweak it just a little. How does that look for paperback? And that's, and also the thing that we can't forget is you're selling to the parents, not the reader. And so making sure that it's a book the parents will pick up, but also a book the kids want to read. So to keep both in mind really at all times. So what does it look like to you day to day? Because for me, like as an indie author, obviously we're both going to be writing books, but then I'm going to spend a lot of time like on AMS ads or, you know, building a mailing list. So like in terms of business approach, like what is your structure? Do you bother to do eBooks? Like how does it work for you? eBooks just because I like to offer every platform. And once you format a book, it's not a big deal to throw the eBook out there. And um, there's a small uptick in eBooks in the summer. I'm assuming that's when people go on vacation and don't want to lug around a book. So yeah, I do eBooks, um, but I'm still selling almost 90% paperback on Amazon, even though the Kindles are up there. Um, Wow. And on Amazon. I wasn't sure if that would be the case. That's incredible. They're buying paperbacks off Amazon and um, hardbacks are popular on Ingram. I assume that's for libraries. I'm just guessing. Um, But yeah, of course, I still do a Kindle version and I use draft to digital to push out the eBooks to all the different platforms. I think a lot of indie authors choose to upload to each different platform to save that 15%. But since my eBooks is such a small percentage, I, I would rather give it to draft to digital and let them take it from there. Um, just cutting out that time. Um, in terms of newsletter, you also got newsletter. I do a newsletter knowing that it goes to the parents. So I usually create a PDF that they can print out. And the fourth page is usually for the kids, a a word search or a goal setting page or the first chapter, things like that. And I also don't send the newsletter on a weekly basis, which I think a lot of indie authors have found success with. But honestly, as a parent, they're not the reader. They're not excited to hear from me. They are on my email list because they want to know when the next book is. So I send a newsletter every other month 
Um, I also think parents are inundated with emails. I mean, I get an email every day from every one of my kids' teachers and one has seven classes and one has eight classes. That means I'm getting 15 emails a day. I don't need an email from authors. <laughs> so I am never going yeah. to complain about my kids' school emailing me. <laughs> It's insane. Yeah. And so I'm like, these moms don't really want to hear from me and they don't say much until a new book comes out. And then that's when I know they're getting the newsletter because all they will immediately, um, they'll order when that new book comes out. So it's just keeping the line of communication open, but not inundating them, knowing they're not the reader. They're not the one that really needs to hear from me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So what are some mistakes that you see sort of newer indie authors who want to write middle grade? Um, what mistakes do you see them doing when trying to market and sell their middle grade fiction books? I think uh, trying to apply the ebook model to middle grade. I think that works in rare cases. If someone's writing um, like video game books, then that market is on is online. But parents are looking for print because they're worried about how much time their kids are on a screen. And um, sometimes like my kids are sneaky. If they're on a tablet and I think they're reading, they're like switching over and playing a video game. So <laughs> when they're reading a book, you know, they're reading a book. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. We tried. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So I was just going to say, but back to your question. Um, I think you just have to tweak the business model a tiny bit and you're off and running. Yeah. Yeah. We, my, um, we, we tried my kid on my Kindle, uh, mm-hmm. just because like he, when he gets into a book, he'll read it quite quickly, but it's like yeah. getting him into that book. Um, yes. but he, it just ended up being a distraction because he could like push different parts of it and then he'd lose mm-hmm. the page and, you know, we have some focus issues anyway. Um, but okay. So when you say tweak the model, where where do they start? How how do you start selling paperbacks like as an indie? Because we all know that most um, that that's just not how most indies sell books. So right. what is the good approach for trying to encourage paperback sales? So I found success both on my website and on Amazon. Um, I think Amazon ads were much more successful for me than Facebook and Instagram. Um, I don't know if it's just because I'm not doing Facebook and Instagram right or if it's, that's an impulse purchase. And again, you're not getting it to your readers, you're getting it to the parents. When they're on Amazon, they're looking, they're already looking to buy. So um, I would definitely recommend um, taking Brian Cohen or Mark Dawson's Amazon ads course. I had a a picture book that wasn't even part of my gymnastics niche. It's a divorce picture book. It doesn't do well at events. Uh, People, it's a club people don't want to be a part of, but when I ran the ads on Amazon, it's done really, really well. The other thing about running ads on Amazon is sometimes um, when I have a new book up, Amazon has a hard time with the age range. So they'll they'll put my book with baby board books and I'm writing a book for 11 to 14 year olds. And it's just that the algorithm doesn't know yet where to put your book. And when you run a few ads and it finds success linking it to other comps, then it starts showing it correctly. So that's the other reason I love Amazon ads for middle grade is you really want to be showing up with comps that are the same age. That visibility is really important. So that's where I would start, honestly, is Amazon ads. And then people aren't afraid to buy directs from you anymore. They'll do it. They'll go onto your website and buy your paperback. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, 
how are how do you you know we all know that the we can have a direct store we can have a shopify mm. but getting the visibility on that is excruciatingly painful when you are yes. starting from scratch yes. so how how have you nurtured that success on direct on your direct store um so this is where instagram and facebook does come in i feel like instagram and facebook are good on giving people for me giving people information and hey i have this website if you like this book, go to this website. So I direct my social media to my website. Back Matter is amazing. So if someone already has your book, the website's in the back. Um, that's huge. Uh, when I go to events, which I which I do on occasion, the bookmark has the website. And then um, once they order from you, you have their information. And once a year, I send out a postcard to anyone who's ordered in the previous year just to keep reminding them that I am there and I have new books. Oh, wow. That's so. a genius. That must take you ages. Uh, no, it doesn't take that long. Uh, <laughs> sometimes going old school works. I mean, people again are inundated by their email inbox. They're inundated by social media. And so if they get the actual card in the mail and I do it around Christmas time, because that's another um, thing about middle grade is Q4 is queen. It's, 50% of my sales are in Q4. So that's the other thing. Um, you have to, through going back to talking about strategies, really, really pushing releases around Christmas time is what I would say to middle grade authors. A leverage Christmas time. If you have a limited budget, do it at Christmas time. That's when oh, people wow. are looking to put to buy books. So do you release in December or do you release just before? Do you? Just before. Mm-hmm. So do you so stockpile I, during the year? Do you literally save books for that, that quarter? No, I'm a really slow writer. So I only get <laughs> one or two out. So I just make sure they release in October or November is the new book. Oh, and, that's amazing. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love thinking about like seasonal publishing. I, I am n- not very patient. So <laughs> I really struggle to like sit on books. My um sort of writing wife can sit on a book for like six months and I'm just sat there like internally screaming like, oh, no, I get that. I'm done. I'm done. And yeah. no one needs it. I yeah. can be, you know, I can sell it right now. People want to read it. I get that. Yeah, I usually I, finish it in time. So I don't have to wait. <laughs> I, I really need to garner some of that uh, patience, I think, because, you know, the benefit of that is that you can do a bigger like pre-order you can do more like marketing things whereas I'm like yeah get it out go 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 (laughs) right so uh, yeah I've created it's a very cyclical business I guess that's what I should have told you earlier is it's very seasonal so I I do once I get that book out in October November I don't write again I just focus on marketing because the sales are so insane in November and December and the orders from the website are busy those months. So I don't even put the pressure on myself to start a new book until the new year. Oh, uh, okay. That is really, really interesting. I I I love that because I really struggle with the consistency of doing like a little bit of marketing every day. Um, I'm not really like that. I will like binge write a book in a month and then but then I won't That's write crazy. again for another month or two, you know. So I can't I can't I can write very quickly, but not every day forever and ever and ever I have to do these like boom and bust cycles but that could work great you you get a book done and then enjoy marketing it while you're letting your brain rest before the next book I think that could work really great yeah and then market right and then market (laughs) (laughs) yeah and market until your soul bleeds and your eyes fall out right and then you write the next book (laughs) 
Oh dear. Okay, so we've we've touched a little bit on social media. And you know, a lot of typical advice is to have a platform for social media. Um but you know, I don't know what I'm trying to ask here. I think what I'm trying to ask is like, how do you engage with your readers? Because your readers are not on social media. The parents are on social media. So like, does it still work? Do you still get engagement from parents? Um, A lot of kids have Instagram accounts that are monitored by their parents. So especially in the, in the, in any area where the kid is doing a sport, it's, they usually have an Instagram page around the sport. At least that's my experience and the, it's parent monitored. So I, um, I follow those girls. If it's a private page, I don't follow them back. Um, but if it's public, I'll follow them. I try to be really careful because they're all minors. So they are on Instagram, but it's mostly their parents. Um, and then grandparents are on Facebook is what I've noticed. Parents are on Instagram. I can't figure out TikTok. I think everyone's it's very haphazard. So I don't spend a lot of time on that. But Instagram has been where I found the most success because it's very made for a specific hobby. So it does well with kids. Like if a kid is really good at spelling, they show all their spelling bee videos. Or if a kid is, in my case, really good at gymnastics, they, sh- they have a gymnastics account. And they just show that part of their life. I think that's how Instagram is kind of designed. So I follow kids that have the gymnastics accounts and talk shop with them. I'll comment on their skill. Um, I post throwback videos and pictures. I of course have books, um, book covers that I put out online, but it's really as much of a two-way communication as I can with their parents and sometimes them. Um, but I always try to be careful, um, with private accounts and kids. I do have a reader of the month program. That's really successful. And I post them on Instagram and, and Facebook. And then I have a kid on my page holding my book. And Aww. I've had their parents' permission to do it. So that's why I do it in the format of Reader of the Month. And they apply for it. And they have their parents' permission. Ah, uh, oh, that's genius. I was going to ask, like, how do you manage that? But they, so the parents apply on their behalf kind of thing. Or... Yeah, they apply on the website. And um, then I ask questions. What's your favorite book? What's your favorite character? Why do you like this series? Uh, make oh, sure I get so cool. and then put your parents email and then I always email the parents and to make sure did you apply for this are you okay with them being posted on a public site and um sometimes they say you can post them on Instagram but not your website things like that yeah yeah, yeah. so oh. that helps because I noticed my Instagram page was kind yes. of flat without kids on it yeah absolutely so like okay and this is total tangent um can you still do a flip on a trampoline <laughs> on a trampoline only <laughs> into a pool off a diving board I don't know I'm too scared to try it on a hard surface <laughs> so I don't know why but one of you know how like Facebook will show you things that you're like it, it learns very quickly what you watch videos on right and like I only ever get shown gymnastic videos <laughs> That's awesome. But I absolutely, I'm obsessed with people who can do like flips and and like back flips and triple outs or whatever they're called and, you know, all, all of the rest of it. I, and the only part of the Olympics that I ever watch die hard religiously is the gymnastics. I am not a gymnast. I've never it. been a gymnast. But I, yeah. The only thing if I can you're do You're weightlifting. <laughs> I feel like you could learn a backflip in just a couple of days with a good spotter and a foam pit. <laughs> oh my God, don't, don't even tempt me. I would literally, I'm trying to encourage my son to go to gymnastics purely because I want to learn the technique yeah 
my kids are obsessed with going to the American Ninja Warrior gym just for fun to play around. And yeah, yeah it's fun. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Really yeah. Okay. Um, so we've we've kind of talked about ads and the fact that you do um Amazon ads, but what about in-person events? Do they do you spend time doing that? Is it only at Christmas? Like do you do them? Are they seasonal too? They are seasonal too. My situation is different. And then I'm writing books for gymnasts. So I go to gymnastics competitions and I try to go to meets that have at least a thousand athletes and in, in attendance. So it's a three-day, very intense, 12-hour day at a table event of selling books because they're in competition. Like one session will be in competition and then they'll come out for awards. My table's crazy busy and then it's quiet for another couple of hours. Um, the reason I do that instead of schools is I'm directly interacting with the parents. I'm directly interacting with my target audience. Whereas if you go to a school, I mean, I'm so niche. I'm already cutting out a lot of the boys. I would, I wish boys would read my books. My kids like my books, but they see the girl on the cover and they don't always love it. Um, and then they, they have a hard time going home and telling their parents about the book and the schools have a lot of rules and they want you to do either a classroom or a whole assembly and every school is different. And I found that, um, I feel like for middle grade authors, if, if you can make that work great, but I found it kind of labor intensive for the return. And so I like to go to the actual competitions. I think that is fucking genius. I never would have thought Thank of you. that. Like that is absolutely <laughs> like ingenious. Oh my goodness me. Um, How do you, like, do you take anything in particular to like, encourage people like do you do like merch or anything or like do you try and encourage signups there or is it literally just books and like sales or it's mostly books and sales but there I do have pins that say smart is beautiful strong is beautiful um strength flexibility courage um I have bookmarks that say strong is beautiful and similar kind of thing the whole idea is promoting confidence in girls and so I have a little bit of that on the side. I have leotards on my website that match my character's leotards, but I don't sell them at competitions because there's usually leotard vendors and I don't want to step on their toes. Um, so I leave those at, at home. <laughs> that is literally genius. Yeah. Oh I my gosh. I like that too. That's I- harder though. I don't, I wouldn't recommend, um, I wouldn't recommend clothing because you have all the different sizes. So there's a lot of skews bookmarks, pins, they're light, they're small, they carry easily. Um, books, you're already, you're already breaking your back getting your books there. Um, yeah, yes, definitely. <laughs> Even keeping a <laughs> tiny bit of stock in my house is a bit of a nightmare. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's really heavy. Um, and, and I would say in terms of other middle grade authors, I did not do well at comic cons. I did not do well at just regular fairs I think choose your event very carefully because it's a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of money so be very picky about what the event is and know who your reader is before you go to an event um okay so we've sort of talked about the newsletter how Mm -hmm. how have you kind of built that has it mostly been through back of the book have you done like anything specific to try because a lot lot of authors do like newsletter swaps or they do book funnel thingies like does anything how do you how have you managed to to build it so I didn't 
I was sitting here doing this business very by myself for many years. So I didn't even know other authors to do newsletter swaps with. I just was on my own. So I built the newsletter mostly with, I'll do Instagram posts that say, in fact, this week, um, last Friday, we released the cover of the new book. And I put on Instagram, if you want to see the cover of the new book before anybody else, get on the newsletter. We're sending it out on Friday. Um, if you want to apply for reader of the month, you know, and anytime someone visits my website, there's a pop-up for the newsletter. So it's very much driven by just visiting the website and letting them know um, if there's something special for them in the newsletter. I do a coupon code with any new launch that they only get if they're on the newsletter. Um, the first chapter of a new book, they only get if they're on the newsletter. So, and I usually try to do articles. This is kind of dwindled because I wrote it for so many years, but I usually try to do one life lesson of a gymnast in every newsletter. So content that they would appreciate or want, but honestly, it's been a snail's pace of just letting people know it exists through social media. I haven't done any swaps. No, I, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, what I love about what you're doing is how like niched and how focused you've gone. And the fact that like, even thinking about like the fact that you're giving gymnastic content in there, mm -hmm. it's just, we hear people saying that you need to think about your reader and do this stuff, but then you don't always <laughs> hear the examples of it in practice, which is why I love this so much. Um, yeah. And I'll even say so like, if um, they all have state competition and regional competitions at the same time, and some of the girls make it and some of the girls don't. So there'll be an article on, you know, what to do if you're the only one that made state and all your teammates didn't or vice versa, things like that, um, helping their kids. So helping them how to navigate this very difficult world, really. Yeah, yeah. And look at that. You, like your psychology background really does help all over again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But, but I also want to say, I, I've also gotten a feedback like, well, your middle grade worked because you're niche. Yes, that's true. But also I have these two very non-niche divorce books and it took me a long time to figure out how those would work as well. And those sell purely off Amazon ads. So it still can be done if you're not a niche children's book author. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I do think niche, like it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because niche is kind of slow to grow, but you yes. retain the readers. Cause this is what I'm doing. I'm writing like spicy sapphic fantasy. Like it's three layers of niche, right? right? Um, you know, and when I look at sort of the audience size of that versus the audience size of straight spicy fantasy romance, you know, you go to these like Facebook groups like literature and there's like a hundred thousand people like all ravenous for this stuff. And I'm like, fuck, I picked the wrong genre or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but actually. But you will have super fans for life if it's right. drilled down that, that tightly because they're, they're hungry for content. And exactly. There's not a lot of readers and there's not a lot of writers. And I found out that. I do not write nearly fast enough for my readers. They're always ready for the next book. But that is a good place to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You'd rather yeah. be there than then be bored right. of you. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, okay, I'm speaking of writing. Let's talk craft. Okay. Um, dialogue. Dialogue kind of plays a crucial role in any novel, mm -hmm. but children don't speak the same way that adults speak. So how do you ensure that your characters' conversations like feel authentic and resonate with kind of young readers? What tips or advice do you have for other writers? So listen to kids. 
listen to them talk to each other, listen to how they talk to you, listen to how they talk to their siblings. Um, it's helpful to just listen. But I also think, like all fiction, this is a bit of a fantasy, right? So my characters don't always respond exactly how a kid would respond. They respond how they wish they would have. Um, they're a little bit more mature. That's what we like to read. We like to read, um, you know, people that that are witty or fast or mature. And so it's a bit of a mix between authentic interactions, especially between siblings. I feel like I have the sibling interaction pretty good and um, authentic interactions between athlete and coach and parents. But sometimes the interactions between the girls are maybe a little mature and that's the fantasy that you have these solid friendships. They're super supportive. They're not ever snarky to each other. Is that real life? I, I think we should strive for it, but I don't know if that's always how it is. But don't you think that that's important? Because actually the representation like that, that I had as a kid was not necessarily that healthy. And to have those examples of, um, of fictional books for middle graders that are actually healthy for once, like is just so wonderful because this, you know, stories are how we mold society that is how children learn and understand and without those good examples what are we what are we getting our kids and and i think somehow in our um sitcoms that are designed for children they've made the parents silly or dumb or uninterested in their kids and so in my books i make sure the parents are there to support the child they have a good relationship with them they're intelligent the, the child, the main character still has to solve her own problem, but she's still a kid. And so sometimes it's with a little help from a friend or help from a parent. My last book, she got a help from an aunt. Um, I think it's important to value the family relationship instead of make fun of it or diminish it in the name of comedy or the name of a kid fantasy. So um, my book's definitely, and then that's what parents like about it. Parents like the the parental characters are positive. So then you've got the parents buying the books because they like what their kids are reading. But yeah. yeah. I, Sorry, no go on. <laughs> I I one of the other reason that inspired me to write is I was reading uh chapter books out loud to my son, and the girls were mean to each other. And he literally said to me, Our girls really like this. And I was like, I don't think so. And every book we picked up had a very um, negative female interactions. And so that was another reason I wanted to create these is to change that narrative. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I was going to ask you about was whether or not you had, like often we see in children's books, some kind of value or moral that we're trying to like impart. So for you, is that the healthy relationships or is that like, do you have to provide a, life lesson or there's usually a big conflict that I try for there's a big conflict that's related to the sport because I wanted girl versus girl and to my point earlier rather I mean girl versus excuse me I wanted girl versus sport rather than girl versus girl um so the conflict is something around the sport um this last one she gets injured she gets really upset she goes through the five stages of grief and um that is her main conflict so there's a lesson there I guess, overcoming that setback, but it's, it's not really where I start. I start with the conflict. 
And because it's sport, and so have you ever heard of Clifton Strengths? Yes. Do you know yours? Um, minor achievement, I think, is my highest one where I like have to achieve something every single day or I'm not happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the biggest one. Okay. Very so my, logical too. my number one is competition. Interesting. And a lot of children, or I would say society teach, certainly in the UK, teaches females that competition is a bad thing, right? So I was so utterly gobsmacked that competition was my number one strength that I actually denied it for a really long time. And I had to go through coaching to accept that I was actually viciously competitive. (laughs) And it's not, especially if you learn to turn that on yourself. Yeah, right exactly yeah. and I'm um very much a like uh like a uh, so there's like small c petty competitiveness and then there's like the drive and burn of competition and like okay. the kind of drive that will push you to win like and you'll go through like the pain and, and the endurance and stuff in order to get there and that's very much like the end that I sit on and kind of the end of competition where you cheerlead for other people and that's one of the things okay. that I do on this podcast and like in my community but competition, especially for girls, is stigmatized. Like it yes. is not seen as an acceptable trait. So do you ever deal with like that in your books and having like allowing the girls to be competitive? Like, do you like foster that in there as well as like the female relationships or? I think it's more, and the, and the sport is very, really you're competing against yourself in this sport. And so it's a more that they're achieving goals, which I think is what's great for sports. So I don't know. I did have coaches that would pity us against each other and that didn't work well for me. Uh, I liked beating my last score or very um, achiever that right. right, right, Yes. (laughs) You surprised me that you're achiever. (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) Um, So I think it's there because it's a, it's a sport, you know, I think it's there that they, they they're they want to achieve the next goal they want to make state they want to make regionals they want to win as a team but i'm trying very hard to not have them be competitive with each other and that's by design um and i do think it is important for girls to be in sports because studies have shown that a lot of our vocabulary and the way we function in the working world is very the same skill set as sports. And so women are sometimes left behind in the workforce because they don't have that background. So I think it's just important to have the example that they're achieving goals other than chasing the boy. They're achieving their own goals and they're their own person. That I guess that's more of it for me. No, I, I love that. How do you kind of strike a balance in the story between entertaining and imparting those kind of invaluable lessons? <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, I think having scenes in the gym and having scenes with their family, having scenes with their friends, having scenes with their cousins, um, scenes outside of that very intense work and outside of those goals. I know my readers love the scenes in the gym because a lot of times um, books about gymnastics kind of skip the gym. I think maybe they're not brave enough to write the nitty gritty or it gets boring writing about the skills. So I know my readers love that, but I do break it up with um, their family home. And one thing, I, I hope that this is entertaining for the girls, but the team is um, purposely diverse. And so their home lives are a little bit different. So 
Um, you know, I have a Asian American athlete and we talked about a lot of their foods and they took their shoes off at the door and it's very mild, but it is slightly different. And hopefully that's interesting to the readers to have read about a family that's different from them, but they're the same in that they love gymnastics. Oh, so I love that's that. Yeah, no, I love that. Well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Oh my goodness. Well, I think being an indie author is being a rebel, don't you? I mean, you're you're bucking the system in general by saying, I know you told me you didn't want to publish my books. So I'm just going to do it anyway. I think in general, that's huge. Um, I was thinking about this. There was a time in college... I was in a sorority and there was light hazing where the pledges had to memorize everyone's name and memorize things about the sorority and the history of the university. And then they had to recite it back to the active members. And what the active members did was purposely be mad and disappointed in their, um, their test or their quiz, no matter how well they did, they told them they were a horrible person. And the idea was that it would bring the pledges together by having a common enemy in the actives. But I didn't like, when I learned later that that was the psychological game, I was very upset by it. I'm like, what? We studied and studied and studied and you guys were so mean to us and said that we failed and you were gave us dirty looks and tortured us for two days emotionally because of this failure. I thought it was horrible. So the next semester, when it was my turn to do it to the pledges, um, I refused to, and I stayed in my room and I got my roommate to join me and we sat it out and they went through that whole thing. The next semester, we got more people to join us and sit it out. And then the following semester, they no longer did that psychological warfare on the girls. So I've always been a proponent of women helping women. And I feel like you can bond with positive experiences and they don't need to be negative experiences. Oh my God. I fucking love that. Like, I love that you affected change, like with your rebellion. I think that's so special. Like what an amazing rebellion. I was so excited when my roommate, I don't remember it might, I don't remember whose idea with hers or mine, but we both were like, this is terrible. Then we're like, let's just sit it out. Let's just not do it. Um, yeah. I, I love that so much. I think it's so important that we that we take a stand. It only takes one person, and then there's like group group psychology, right? Like it takes right. so many people, and then and then they tip over, and everybody joins, and and you win, right. basically. Yeah, everyone else was like, "Yeah, this is kind of not necessary. It's not necessary." And so, nobody just yeah. questioned the status quo either. That's the crazy thing. For however many years, I mean, these organizations have been around since the 1800s, so who knows? Yeah. how long that, that's been going on. Although that was probably light compared to what they did prior to us, unfortunately. Okay. Tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books, and anything else you'd like to add. Okay. Well, my website is melissatorres.com. M-E-L-I-S-A-T-O-R-R-E-S.com. And then my Instagram page is, and TikTok, is Perfect Balance Gym Books. Yeah, at Perfect Balance Gym Books. And um, the Facebook page is Perfect Balance Gymnastics Series. So, and then the divorce books are just on Amazon under my name. I didn't do a different pen name. They're just out on their own for anyone who needs help. Amazing. Will you ever do a gymnastics book for boys? I might. I did purposely write 
one of the characters has a sibling and he does gymnastics as well. So he's in there in case I ever want to do a spinoff for him. It's to your point about a niche of a niche of a niche. Um, Male gymnasts in America are very, it's a very small group, sadly. So if I did it, it would be completely philanthropic. Just for those boys who I adore. So maybe I will do it someday, but it's not, (laughs) it's not a big market. Yeah. Yeah. It's no market. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that yet. Uh, Do that when when you retire, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And of course, thank you for having me. Oh, no, you're more than welcome. And of course, thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Melissa Torres, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by the one, the only, Joanna Penn. We are going to be talking all about writing the shadow. Uh, and I'm so excited because I got to read her book early. It is amazing. She is running a Kickstarter and uh, like just I cannot fucking wait. I can't wait to share this episode with you. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.